Welcome to What Are You Reading, a podcast dedicated to leadership development through a commitment to reading. Hello and welcome, uh, everyone, to this episode of What Are You Reading podcast uh, by DoD Reads. Uh, I'm your co-host, Josh Bowen, and today our guest is uh, Air Force Lieutenant General Retired Richard Newton. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Josh. Good to be with you, like I said. General Newton is a uh, 34-year veteran of the Air Force, uh, where he culminated his career uh, as the U.S. Air Force Assistant Vice Chief of Staff uh, before his retirement in 2012. Uh, Through his career, uh, he was a command pilot with nearly 3,000 flying hours across multiple platforms uh, that included the uh, B-2 Stealth Bomber, the B-1B, the B-52, and the T-38. General Newton also commanded Minot Air Force Base, on uh, the fifth wing there in North Dakota, uh, and our nation's uh, first B-2 stealth bomber squadron at Whiteman uh, Air Force Base in Missouri. Since his retirement from the Air Force, General Newton has had a uh, pretty extensive corporate experience, uh, which includes an impressive list of things like the director of the USAA Mutual Fund Trust uh, at Victory Capital Management. Uh, he was the chairman of the board of uh, AFES, Uh, managing partner of the Pioneer Partnership Development Group, which is a consulting firm uh, both in the commercial, retail, and uh, defense industries. He's also a national security guest contributor to uh, Fox News. And personally, uh, something of interest to me is uh, he's a faculty member uh, at the Fair Leader Development Group here at uh, West Point, New York. General Newton is a uh, 1978 graduate of the uh, Air Force Academy uh, with a bachelor's in history also holds a master's in industrial psychology and human relationship um, from Webster University, and then also a master's in national security strategy from the National War College. So, sir, uh, welcome again. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so, I mean, we, you and I, we've literally actually just talked for about an hour um, on here before we even started recording. So, um, kind of just picking up where we left off before we started hitting record, I figured maybe just the, the, the best starting question is, uh, I mean, like what, what are you reading right now, sir? Uh, uh, actually <clears throat> there's a couple things. Uh, the I'm reading now, as you mentioned, I'm now in the business sector, uh, mm-hmm. business sector, uh, in the financial sector and venture capital and things of that nature. Um, so I, uh, from a periodical standpoint, I read the wall street journal, cover to cover every morning. Um, and I've got a number of uh, news feeds uh, that really emanate from the Wall Street Journal through, through Barron's and so forth and others. That's just to kind of keep me up to date. And I'll kind of read the Wall Street Journal through the, through the day, believe it or not. So that's on, that's on the periodical side. I'm into books. Uh, I get an opportunity to, uh, I really enjoy biography. Uh, that started several years ago. We can talk about, you know, my journey through reading uh, after I graduated from the Air Force Academy, but uh, it kind of went stale for a while. Then I really got into to reading about 10 years, kind of where, where you are in your career, frankly. Uh, I'm reading uh, Ron Chernow's grant. Uh, it's a just a fascinating piece on, on Ulysses Grant from his developmental days all the way through his, his presidency. Uh, and so forth. So it's it's a very comprehensive work, much like what he had written uh, with uh, on Alexander Hamilton, which I found fascinating. These are books I can't put down. Uh, and so I really enjoy reading about other other people, specifically those who 
had significant opportunities to lead in times of crisis, but also leading the nation, you know, from Alexander Hamilton to Grant to George C. Marshall to Hap Arnold and so forth. And anyway, that's a, that's a round the, round the world view of, of, of reading, but uh, that's where I'm at right now. Thinking about the audience we're trying to talk to here, especially maybe a lot of junior leaders, um, can you expand on, I think, the value of reading biographies? Um, I think maybe for me personally, because I mean, just to be very honest, I, this is not something that's natural for me is to pour into a lot of biographies. So, um, so maybe just from your perspective, I mean, what, what's, what's been impactful about reading biographies from your, for you? I think, so start, I was a history major at the Air Force Academy. Um, I was told my sophomore, my three degree year said, uh, based on my performance in, in mech and physics, they said, you know, Cadet Newton, you need to be a history major <laughs> and, and stay away from some of the hard sciences. And, and uh, I'd always, I always kind of enjoyed history. Uh, my dad, uh, as a West Point graduate, but uh, dad really enjoyed uh, biographies even up to his last day as he was reading biographies. Uh, I think it's just bringing history alive through biography, uh, learning how people dealt with certain situations in life that may or may, may, or, not, may, or may not be similar to what you and I are going through, uh, but you can learn from that. Uh, I'm a big believer in learning from history and applying it to the daily lives. And so if you read, uh, I remember the quintessential piece I've read in my life from biography is Forrest Pogue's four-volume set on George C. Marshall. Extraordinary piece. In fact, Dad, for a couple of Christmases, got me uh, first edition uh, printed uh, books, that, and I've read those from cover to cover. And uh, you can learn a lot from George C. Marshall and his life and how he approached things. And so you take that, what I think to be maybe the greatest statesman we've ever had in our nation is George C. Marshall. I'm a huge Marshall fan. You apply his life experiences and, and uh, what he faced in terms of known or unknown crisis that were uh, put at his, uh, his feet and how he dealt with that. Uh, and then I think also the other aspect, I really enjoy communication, uh, learning to be a better communicator. And you can learn that through, through biography and how some of these authors are able to communicate the lives of, of, of Grant or Marshall uh, or Hap Arnold or, or Ronald Reagan or whomever you happen to be reading or Alexander Hamilton. How did they communicate as well along the way? Because Early on, uh, it was through letters, and now in today's world, it's through social media and other ways. Uh, but the communication aspect, that human aspect of communicating between one uh, one another, hasn't changed. It's just maybe the mm. method. But learning through learning through uh, these biographies, that, that brings them alive. So that's good. I, I mean, that's a perspective I really never even thought about. The value of digging into biographies is just kind of understanding the art of leadership in a way, especially like we used talked about with the mm-hmm. communication. Yep. So I, I think that's pretty fascinating. Definitely resonates with me. If, if I may, you, you bring up, you bring up the art of leadership, you know, you, you there as a TAC officer at West Point or, or my time at the Air Force Academy, I remember learning about leadership as both an art and a science. And, and I'm sure that's a main sure, treatise yeah. of what you're, you're instilling um, among the cadets there at West Point. Uh, even as officers, we, we never stop learning. We never start having experiences that aid at, that either enable us to be more effective as leaders, but is that along this, the lines of the art of leadership or the science of leadership? And so that's, that's another fascinating aspect of this. And that's why 
biography brings alive uh, to me and, and learning about what these past Americans and even current Americans went through is fascinating to me. When you're pouring over, I think, a variety of biographies, then maybe you're starting to pull out trends in the, within the realm of maybe communication. You're seeing that that had worked well. It's a great perspective. So you mentioned that you had a pretty delayed start towards I mean, what we'll call professional reading uh, in your career, or you were maybe a late 03 captain or early 04 major in the Air Force before you really kind of started doing that. Um, can you kind of expand on maybe like why that was? And then really maybe what was some of the triggers that initiated this big shift? Um, and then maybe like the impact that it had on your career kind of after, after that. Yeah, I, I think uh, that shift occurred when I got my uh, assignment to the Pentagon, I was in the deputy chief of staff for plans and operations as a captain. I was the junior person, it seemed like, on the air staff. Uh, and the reason I say that is, be, and I was just about ready to make major, but in my, my career, up to that point, I was really learning to hone the skills of my craft, in this case being a, 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 a combat pilot. Uh, and so, and principally a, a, a bomber pilot at that point in my career. And so I was so much into the art and science of warfare, but from a tactical application standpoint. And, and you know, into the Dash 1, the Dash 1 is the, the, the Bible, if you will, of, of a particular aircraft, knowing emergency situations, knowing normal day-to-day -day situations, and then becoming an instructor pilot, and then becoming a weapons, and, and understanding all the applications of the art of war that was literally at your fingertips. You as an engineer are learning, you know, how to be more, uh, as an engineer across the whole enterprise of now being an engineer, not necessarily on the tactical battlefield, but but all applications of engineer and so forth, I, I presume. And so I arrived at the Pentagon and uh, I was uh, a very dear friend of mine, retired Lieutenant General David Deptula was a couple years ahead of me. But uh, I remember um, I was reading some fiction at the time. Uh, in, you know, it's kind of fiction of the day. But, uh, and, and David said, you know, why are you, and we would like commute on the bus and we'd have 45 minutes to get to down back home from the Pentagon, say somewhere in Northern Virginia. And, you know, not so much why waste your time on just fiction, but, you know, if you really poured yourself into the art and science of, of, of warfare, but biography and, and so forth. And he really got me hooked on, on biography. And my dad did as well, but David did it as a practical standpoint. And so I just remember on those long commutes, both going in and coming home, rather than spending my time, you know, on headphones, listening to cassettes at the time, I would, you know, I poured myself into, into reading. And that really stimulated my thought process of learning about what others had gone through, starting out in the military, but then it kind of evolved into national security, now it kind of evolves into business. And, and it really allowed me to kind of hone my own personal craft of what then was going to be embarking on, I was confirmed of that, or convinced of that, a career in the Air Force, and or really a career in the military. And I wanted to go after after works that weren't necessarily just Air Force focused. Not that I knew everything about the Air Force, but I was living the Air Force. But I wanted to know what other experiences were going through. You know what would, and that's why I got really enthralled about George C. Marshall, um, and really what he was going through when he'd literally go up to the Pentagon, and it was George C. Marshall back in World War II who was you know, the, the chief of staff of the army, but really the leading figure in the Department of War at the time in military uniform was George C. Marshall uh, through a number of, of secretaries of war and his relationship with President Roosevelt and then Truman and so forth. That's another conversation 
for another day. But what was he thinking about? What was his development? And so I wanted to learn about him. Um, never thinking I was going to be him at any one time, but I wanted to hone some skills. And how did he treat people? How did he treat his immediate staff? What was his home life like? You know, and you learned a lot how Mrs. Marshall joined in with within uh, General Marshall. Um, so that's that was that was the the beginning of the stimulation, and then it just kind of stayed with me. My point, Josh, is that I found, and I still find to today, that your personal life and your professional life are are very much intertwined, and through my own reading, learning opportunities that have come my way, operational opportunities are now opportunities in the business world I find myself in. Uh, the more I try to synchronize and weave in my personal life and my professional life, along with my own personal development with my professional development, uh, as I said, intertwined uh, is, is really maximizing uh, you know, all, all the things that we have at our fingertips in, in this life we find ourselves in. I like that a lot. And I think maybe with on that theme, um, looking back over a, I mean, a very successful 34 year um, Air Force career, sir, and then um, very successful endeavors on the, on the private sector now, um, what have been probably some of the most impactful books um, f- from your end that, that, you, that stand out most to you? Uh, I think one book that really has stood out, there's a, 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 professor uh, named Jim Collins, uh, Dr. Collins was up at University of Michigan and very much in the behavioral science. You probably ran across him down at Columbia, perhaps, but he wrote a book called Good to Great. It is the quintessential book to me on, on, on broader corporate leadership. My point is dad turned me on to that book uh, and he did in a way that was uh, because dad was uh, very much a believer in constantly learning and, and, uh, and trying to get better. And there's another person who influenced my life in that regard was General Haas Cartwright. I was his J-5 when he was commander of Stratcom. Uh, he ended up becoming the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs and just a, a really maybe one of the best bosses I ever had, frankly. But, but he also he would constantly say, if you're, if, you're, if you're not learning, you're dying. And then he would also say, he said, you also owe this to the people you lead, is to constantly strive to get better. And one of the avenues of doing that is is making sure you take good care of yourself, PT-wise and, and, and all those things. But also the fact that you need to be constantly learning as you bring on more and more challenges or opportunities uh, or more accountability as you go up the ranks, if you will. I don't want to be naive to, to, and not think that I think there might be a lot of listeners out there who are either thinking about or looking towards transitioning out of the military. Um, and whether it's after maybe a five-year commitment, um, like, like my brother did, honestly, uh, and then moved over to the private sector, but uh, or maybe after later, later years of, of service. But um, for those that are either considering or thinking on um, – transitioning. Can you talk on maybe how your reading habits changed um, from military service to working in the private sector or maybe like emphasis or what you kind of spent your time reading on um, how that changed? And then if you have any other like recommendations or perspectives on um, uh, or thoughts to share for people that are looking to transition and maybe some things for them to read. For my last 10 or 12 years when I was a general officer flag officer, uh, I spent a lot of time in reading. I was I was deep into the intelligence world, uh, and and finding myself having to read a, a lot of of highly sensitive 
classified intelligence. Uh, so I felt like I, I arrived at a certain point in my career where I was now in the receiver aspect of that. There are some things that we had to provide, particularly when I was in the joint staff uh, in operations, you know, up to uh, the SecDef for the White House and that type of thing. But but nonetheless, uh, a lot of it was on on day to day tactical things. You really didn't have a whole lot of time to read a whole. You know, I, I just uh, it wasn't the time spent reading George C. or Forrest Pogue's uh, four part series on, on Marshall. Uh, in fact, I had to put that on the shelf for a little bit and get back to it eventually. But my point is, as I transitioned into the private sector, though, the same necessity, the same value proposition of reading and staying honed with what is either current affairs uh, in either in business or in the, in the national security realm, or like me, once I stepped out of military uniform into the private sector, I didn't do the, there's a lot of my contemporaries, uh, a lot of the mentors of mine went right into the defense industry. It's kind of like a very similar lane. Um, I stepped into something totally different into the private sector. Now I found myself into venture capital, uh, find myself into startups. Uh, I still, uh, you know, I'm in the financial world, in, in, you know, as a director of mutual fund trusts and so forth. So it's almost as if I had to go back to second, third and fourth grade and then begin again. But when you transition, though, from the military into the private sector and let's say the business world, the one I'm in right now, take all those tools that you've garnered, like your brother. He had five years experience serving this nation as a volunteer serving this nation. And so take those skills and the confidence that he garnered or that you've garnered or that I've garnered is serving in the military and take that and apply that into your next, into your transition, point one. Point two, you're going to have to do a lot of reading. You're going to have to take yourself, again, I'm speaking from Dick Noon's standpoint, from what I would say sixth grade up until maybe through high school, through undergrad, then into postgrad. I'm still working on some, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm learning as I, as, I, as I go, but we learned that in the military also. We learn as we go sometimes. That's just the way, you know, the, the challenges are, are in front of us. That doesn't change. And then, however, I, I find myself, like I mentioned in the top of the call, I find myself in the business world now paying close attention to uh, uh, well, the Wall Street Journals, Barron's, and so forth. Um, and and those are those are periodicals, but they're also very solid foundation, not only from day to day aspects of my now professional life in the business world, but also there are other other works that you can find. Uh, you talk about Built to Last, or you talk about you know Jim Collins' Good to Great, other business oriented books that I find myself very interested in. The other thing is is I um, you'll find when you go and when you're in, in the spate of transition. The timing is all personal. You know, you could spend 34 years in the military, you can spend four years in the military, five years in the military. The fact that you spent time serving the nation, volunteering, uh, and putting your life on the life, and frankly, taking your family through that same uh, challenges that you go through, I mean, in a different way of serving, but nonetheless, uh, that will serve you well in any path you choose after you've chosen to serve in the military. You walk out with instant credibility. You walk out with, uh, again, a modicum of confidence that the American people have on this generation serving in our nation's uniform. Uh, you walk out with experiences that nobody else has. You walk out with opportunities in front of you. But the advice I would give you is 
You need to walk out with a learning attitude, with a, I've got to shift gears. I've got to learn now about venture capital. I've got to learn about what it's like to be a, uh, a research analyst at Goldman Sachs, or I've got to learn about how to run a Best Buy store chain, uh, how to be a regional manager at, uh, uh, at Chick-fil-A or all those things. You still have to learn. So we go back to what we talked about also at the top of the conversation. Like General Cartwright said, if you're not learning, you're dying. And so take those skills that you had in the military, apply them where it's applicable in the private sector, but also be ready and be ready to learn and be a quick study. Because once you get in the private sector, either if you go work for Boeing or you go work for Goldman or you get into venture capital down here in South Florida, results absolutely matter. If you're not delivering results, you're not relevant and likely not going to stay on the team. That's not a threat. It's just, just a reality. And so in order to be able to continue to deliver those results and get better and better, uh, that's where you've got to continue to, to learn, read, uh, find opportunities where you can. Uh, one thing that's very popular now out there in the private sector is attending, attending webinars or attending seminars that are along the lines uh, beyond just a book or so. So very long answer to a short question. Frankly, I'd love to have another conversation at some point about just transition uh, in general, because uh, it's not what you think it is. It's not going to a transition course very much, very much based on, on relationships and growing relationships, very much uh, being able to tap into networks and so forth and all those kind of things. It's about taking new risks that you didn't have to take before. I, I can tell you there were every job I had in the military, I was either promoted into or was uh, in the last couple of positions, you know, you're nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's like, it's one set process. In the business world, you know, I've had not several, but, but a few opportunities where I interviewed and I came in second place in a lot of positions. And and but it's, it may have everything to do with you may have very little to do with you. But but you've got to be able to adapt and be able to understand why you were selected or not or why your transition in this particular field has been successful or not. Uh, and you need mentors more so, I believe, <clears throat> in the transition world. And when you get into your next life, your next work, your next professional uh, opportunity, I think you need mentors more so in that world than you do necessarily in the military. The experiences that you have in the military will translate to creating even more effective experiences in the next phase of life. I'm on, let's see, I think I'm on my third career track post-military right now. But my what I was leading up to with that thought is that it's never too early to think about or to begin or plan for transition. And I'm not saying that you up there at West Point ought to be thinking about, you know, when you go work for IBM 20 years from now or five years from now, but, but realize that the experiences, mm. the successes, the opportunities you've had, the skill set you're garnering, the more responsibility you have will all lead up to helping you transition and put in your toolkit of what Josh Bowen does next or what he does next, next, next. And so I've always gone back and, and being able to reach into my prior 34 years of, of active duty service, but I'm not living that life anymore. I'm taking 
experiences and then adding them to and learning from those experiences, but learning from also my new experiences and trying to correlate those and synchronize those. So mm -hmm. transition is, is to me, it's, it's, you know, it's a life journey. It's not just going to happen when you leave the United States Air Force or the United States Army, where the case may be. And that, again, that's another topic for another day. But transition is there's there's definitely ways to do it right. There's definitely ways uh, not to do it right. Uh, and I've seen both of them. So, you know, it's just, but it yeah. is, it's a, I, I can tell you this, I wouldn't give anything up for my Air Force career or my military yes, career. I was more of a joint guy as, as much as I was an Air Force guy. I wouldn't give that up at all. In fact, it's been a tremendous platform and springboard for what Jody and I are experiencing now, uh, both in our personal but our professional life as well. But I would, <laughs> I would yeah. tap into those resources that I garnered in the military and find where there's a direct application to them, but also there could be not an application to them. You know, you've got to, you know, out in the venture capital world mm -hmm. of, of, you know, of, 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 you know, doing new startups and new companies and so forth. It's not the military and there's different ways to communicate to investors and to uh, uh, executive management and who to bring on, on the boards, how you communicate in a boardroom. There's some similarities to that in the military, but there's also some very non-direct correlations either. I mean, you've got to, you've got to learn how to communicate and learn how to operate in the business world uh, that may be a little bit different than you, you experienced in the military. I guess my last point on all this is uh, I think uh, I would have probably thought more about transitioning earlier in my Air Force career. Not that I ever thought I was going to step out. In fact, we were blessed with the opportunity to serve almost five years as a, as a lieutenant general, for instance. Uh, and, and it was, but I, I would have thought more about the transition versus several months leading up to my retirement date, retirement ceremony, literally, and then beginning to think about my own transition experience, which really started with the transition course you took. I would have thought about that years ago. Um, but that's, like I said, another conversation for another day. But um, yeah, it's all about trying to improve yourself. Theme of transitions, um, transition to a, a different question. Um I think it might relate to uh, part of the earlier conversation about communication, obviously, but um, part of your current portfolio uh, of work includes guest writing for publication. Do you have any insight on the value of writing uh, for young leaders, especially within the military? Yeah, I absolutely. Um, I remember at the Air Force Academy, my sophomore year, my history professor, Lieutenant Colonel Don Bacon, Air Force Academy graduate, also class of 63, I recall. Really a very, very strong mentor. I mean, I'm still remembering him to this day. But I remember I wrote a paper as a, as a sophomore, third classman, and it really wasn't very good. It was, I forgot what the topic was. In fact, I've still got it in my, my, my box of uh, personal papers. But I remember Colonel Bacon at the time says, Cadet Newton, you know, he was very gracious. He said, you know, I see potential in you, you know, at some point serving in our Air Force, in a long career, successful career, et cetera. But you need to learn how to write. And, and this paper, we're going to serve as a basis for teaching you how to write. Really what he was saying, and it was a C minus. I remember it was, it was a pass, but it, uh, 
and you remember as a cadet, you had a thousand things going on, but really he said, if you're going to be successful in the military, especially, or really in senior executive management, I'll take the leap into that. I'll, I'll, I'll add to his, his thought there. You need to learn to effectively communicate. And the most difficult part of effective communication is written communication. And so he taught me that. And he literally, for the next couple of years, I would take his courses. And as a history major, he, he would really work hard to try to improve my writing skills. I find today that the least effective communication skill amongst my generation and others' generations, uh, younger, is the written word. And and it's it's a matter of not only – in fact, I'm working on a, a, a piece right now. We're bringing on board uh, – a new executive and trying to understand roles and responsibilities, but also biography and so forth. I'm still finding that a very successful person, but uh, you know, you're, you're still, and I critique my own writings as well, but critiquing others, right. You know, written word uh, is it's written communication is hard. That's where the Stephen Ambrose and the Chernells and those, I've got Force Pogues, I've got so much respect for them because their ability to communicate in a written word, uh, that is extraordinarily difficult to do. And so what I would, I would really suggest to younger officers such as yourself is any opportunity you have to improve your writing skills, be it once you go to Army Command and General Staff College or if you go to National War College or Army War College, wherever you end up going, you know, really focus and work on the written communication skills. Because it's not because you're not talented, you're not smart, you're not educated. It's just very, very hard. And and you've got to first analyze your audience, who you're writing for. You know, I remember we would write, we would prepare slides for the president and we would through, they would have to go through Secretary Rumsfeld. This is when I was in the J3 and the Joint Staff. And and the President and the Secretary of Defense, they don't have time to read 10 pages of PowerPoint slides. Got, got time for maybe four or five. And I'm, I'm not just talking about PowerPoint slides, but, but really, you really understand what is the essence of what you're trying to communicate on this topic in front of this principal senior executive or the President that he or she needs to know right now. And, and that's, that really made you step back and think about trying to be as effective, as precise, as pristine, and like I said, as effective in the written word on that particular communication tool. When you would go brief Secretary Rumsfeld, don't take an eight-page or ten-page brief in with it. You're not going to get past the first or second slide. So the other part of this is whatever you've written down, be able to verbally communicate as well. It's that elevator speech. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes, sir. And I think like through my career and just trying to like, I mean, get better at that myself too. Um, I think early on in my career, I learned like, I mean, how important it is to be able to write in a compelling way, right? To, to articulate your argument and to convince. Um, and I think it's even things as simple as, I mean, just writing like evaluations for your soldiers or junior officers maybe, or um, writing awards for them and stuff too. I, I think there's, there's value in that. But so I think as I learned is starting off making my, written communication compelling, but then exactly what you were talking about is I'm moving up more maybe towards like field grade ranks, what we call in the army, like the 04 levels. Now, how am I making it concise? Cause nobody's got time for my, my, my three paragraphs on, on went to in response to your one, your one sentence question. So. 
so I think to wrap up the conversation, sir, uh, I just kind of maybe want to offer one final question, um, just about any, any advice or anything you have. So uh, thinking of like maybe me as a, an O3 myself and recognizing that we have a lot of other junior leader listeners uh, across all branches of service, potentially listening to this, um, what advice or insight uh, do you have for any of us? Or maybe another way we could phrase it is uh, if you could go back to talk to old O2 or O3 Dick Newton, um, what would you say to yourself? Look for opportunities. Opportunities are going to come your way uh, that you may or may not expect. Uh, be willing to take some risks, manageable risks, uh, in your professional life especially. And if, they, if, if you're asked by senior leadership to go do this job, you know, uh, you were asked for a certain reason to go take that opportunity. It may not be in the opportunity you wanted, but maybe it's the opportunity that the unit or the commander or the team needs for you to go do. I remember one of the best compliments I ever got. I was a captain on the air staff. I'd been picked up for major. I left the bomb unit, bomber squadron. And I went right to the Pentagon. I'm in the deputy chief of staff for plans and operations, strategic offensive forces. That was the name of it. And it was a really heavy position. And I was by far the most junior person in the office. And our full colonel boss was Colonel Mike Russell, a great guy. Uh, And as the new guy, it's kind of like the new guy in the Pentagon, you make the coffee. That's kind of a tongue in cheek thing. But my job really was, he said, hey, Dick, would you mind as you're coming into work, as you go by, the media center, would you pick up the early bird for me and maybe for the other other te- members of the team here in the office? We had about 12 officers. Um, and I did that every morning for about a year and two months. And then I got mm-hmm. picked up to be the executive office for the for the three-star uh, on E-Ring. But I remember Colonel Rutzlov, later on, he invited me to give a speech when I was commanding a B-2 squadron. He asked me to come out to his unit and give a speech what it was like to be the B-2. One of the first introductory things he met, and, he's, he, and it really – this six minutes day was the compliment he gave me was here was captain then major Newton working in the Pentagon, willing every day to work his way into the building, go by the media center and get us all copies of the early bird. He did that every morning. And it was very admin, very, you know, it was, you know, it wasn't the most meaningful thing in one's life, but really what he was talking about was, highlighting attitude and highlighting, you know, whatever it takes to make the team successful because Colonel Russell would read that thing cover to cover before he started his day. So I would get there early enough to get where before he was hand him the early bird, not knowing that it was that big deal, but it was a big deal to him. Well, sorry. I, 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 mean, I was writing, writing down a bunch of that myself um, just for my, for my personal stuff, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that's going to resonate, I think with a lot of, uh, of listeners too. So I really appreciate that. But uh just to wrap us up, sir, I just thank you so much for your time um, today just to kind of talk to us uh, a little bit about reading, but really I think just a much broader conversation of of how that really kind of touches so many different aspects of our lives, both professionally and personally, um, over a long span of a, a career. And then maybe as, as you shed some light on multiple careers too, which is great. So uh, thanks again, sir. It means a lot. Um, and thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Josh. I'm looking forward to staying engaged with you and uh, look forward to uh, many more discussions we can have. Thanks for listening to this episode of What Are You Reading? A podcast produced through partnership with DOD Reads. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share it. 
Leave us a comment with your answer to the question, what are you reading? Also, visit dodreads.com for free books, book reviews, interviews with your favorite authors, and many more free professional development resources. See you next week.